0: Well, good morning. It's always <laughs> well that woke us all up. It's great to have all, us for my my wife and I to speak for her for us to be here. It's always a joy to come up here and have fellowship with all of you, and uh, we look forward to it every summer. So we are blessed to be here to give you the word. And um, my ministry at Grace Community Church has, as Teddy was saying, I, Teddy was saying I'm involved in special needs. Obviously, many of you probably knew that, and I do a lot of other things. Uh, we have a prayer ministry shut-in ministry. I work with the... Basically, my ministry would basically sum it up. I work with the hurting, the elderly, the, the disabled, and those that are hurting. That's sort of the ministry that the Lord put me in many years ago, and it's been a blessing. Obviously, it's a challenge at times to have to deal with people that are suffering, and um, so... But I thank the Lord for the opportunity He's given me to serve in this, in this amazing, amazing ministry at Grace Community Church. So... This morning I'm going to be teaching again on suffering. I think every time I come here usually I'm talking about suffering or or disabilities. So uh, this morning I'm going to really be talking about eight biblical principles that we need to know about disabilities and suffering. And so we've got eight points to go through so Lord willing I will be able to get through these. Um, I'm going to be all over the Bible as usual so you guys have your Bibles open. Um, We're going to be everywhere and I'll try to uh, make sure to let you know, when, when I, I go to a scripture, and we ought to read along with me. We won't have to be able to read them all together. But um, I just hope that this, at the end of the day, this message will be encouraging to you. Because we do live in difficult times. We live in difficult times. And it can be all in comes to time. I get phone calls every week at my church that um, people are struggling with sleeping. They're worried. They're anxious about our world. Um. They're afraid, uh, fearful, so we do live in trying times. And during those trying times, it's, it's difficult to sometimes wonder what God is doing here. And if God is really in control of all this, those are the questions that I get a lot of. Where is God in all this? And, you know, there have been debates for years on how evil and the consistent, powerful, loving God work together. How does that work together where we have evil, we live in an evil, wicked world, sinful world, and yet we have a loving, all-powerful God? And I think those are discussions that I get on the phone a lot. Why, can, why is God doing this? Why is he allowing my husband to have cancer? Uh, why did I lose my job? Why, am, why this? And we can do those things. And we can, we can begin to struggle with trusting God. Our faith is put to a test at times. Uh, we can complain uh, we can really, uh, I think it's, it's, it's an issue really of, of our faith. I think when we live in the ages that we, age we live today, I think this is where our faith is really going to be tested. And, uh, you know, we've had many people the last few years leave our church during these last, especially these last three or four, four years with the uh, pandemic that we had. And we don't know if they walked away from the Lord or what happened to them. You know, it's really sad. We don't know what happened to these people. You know, the Apostle Paul had a difficult life. He had roadblocks, he had disappointments, Uh, he he had confusion, he had many miles that he had to walk where there would be no invisible fruit in his ministry, no churches planted, no lives changed. His journey consisted of afflictions, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, labors, sleeplessness, and hunger. And yet he always trusted his Lord. He was a great testimony of a man that trusted God. All right, we're going to get through these principles. We'll see how far we get, if I can get through all these this morning. Number one. And I think this is where it all has to start. God is sovereign. I think, for me, what gets me out of a bed every morning uh, is the fact that I know that God is sovereign. Things around us may look like they're falling apart. Yes. Uh, but God is sovereign. He's in control. And there's not a single event in the universe that can occur without his sovereign control. And we can trust him. His love is infinite. His power is limited. Nothing can thwart it. And nothing can change it. Lamentations 3.37, we're going to start out with. Lamentations 3.37. It says here, Who is there who speaks, and it comes to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? It is not that from the mouth of the Most High that both good and Ill, Ill go forth. God is sovereign over both good and evil. Both good and evil. In Job 42.2, Job 42.2, God put Job through a lot. As you remember the story, Job, he lost everything. He lost his family. I think the only person that he didn't lose was his wife, and his wife wasn't very encouraging to him. But Job struggled with this. Through this whole book, he struggled, and he got some bad counsel from his friends, also, that didn't help. But the last couple chapters of the book of Job, God begins to lecture him about who he is. Job, were you there when I created you? Were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I created, he just gave a whole lecture on his attributes and his power. Finally, in chapter 42, he answers God. He answers God here in a profound way. He says, yes, Lord, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job finally got it. He finally understood that God is in control. Even when things look insane around us and things are going crazy, God is still in control and he knows what he's doing. We should be encouraged by, as Christians about this truth. And we should be willing to acknowledge His sovereignty even though we don't always understand the wise, like Job. Job didn't understand the wise. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. You may be experiencing some pain right now. You may be experiencing loss. You might be struggling with depression. You may be struggling with a lot of things right now. None of this can happen unless God has allowed it. That God has allowed it. And not only is God sovereign over willful malevolent acts of people, but also the mistakes and failures of other people. Did another driver go through a red light and strike your car and send you to the hospital with multiple fractures? Did a physician fail to detect your cancer in early stages that could have helped? Did you end up with an incompetent instructor? Do you have a job that's difficult? Your boss mistreats you, doesn't treat you well. Are you struggling financially right now? Are you wondering if you're going to make, make the bills? You have some health issues right now. All of these circumstances are under the controlling hand of God, and he works them out for, in our lives for good. And I think if nothing else, what I'm going to share with you here this morning comes out of Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is really what, I'm, what we're going to really flow out of here, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with that verse. If you're not, you should memorize it. It's a good verse to know. Romans eight twenty 20, says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. And this is kind of what we're going to talk about this morning is how God uses good in difficult times, how he uses it for good in our lives, which is amazing, but only, but that's why God is so amazing. He could do things that we can't imagine. God is also, even, he's even concerned about the insignificant little sparrow that flies around. Let's turn to Matthew ten twenty-nine. Even the little sparrow he's concerned about. Matthew ten twenty-nine says, Are not two sparrows sold for a sit? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He even cares about the sparrows. It's interesting. The next verse says that he, he he knows all the hairs on your head. He doesn't have to count as many on mine as things are going. But isn't that amazing, though, that he's even, he understands everything? Nothing goes past him that he does not understand about us. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Psalm 115, 13, 3, you don't have to state there, but our God is in heaven. He does what he pleases. Isaiah 43, 13 says, Even from eternity I am he. There is none who can deliver you out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? So number one, I think it's where this is all ha- starts, is we have to understand that God is sovereign, even though we may not always understand what's going on. And we don't know the whys. Our whys maybe not, have not been answered. Number two. Number two. This is so important to understand in the world we live today, and I think you'll understand when I, I share this point. Every human being is created in God's image for his purpose, and therefore is of immeasurable value. We're all created in God's image, and we, our lives are of measurable value to him. Ephesians 4.11, Moses had an interesting discussion with God. Moses was struggling with the fact that God wanted him to be a spokesman for him, and Moses said, I don't think I can do this, God. I think you got the wrong man. And in verse 10, Moses says to, to, uh, to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently or in time past, nor since I, you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech, and I am slow of tongue. Well The Lord answered him and says here, Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf, or seeing or blind? Is not I, the Lord? He makes the deaf and the blind. And if God takes credit for creating the deaf, the blind, the disabled, he has good reasons for it. He has good reasons for it. Therefore, it is not our place to question his purpose of how he creates or how he, who he creates, but to give thanks for his grace that we can live. He gives us life. You know, for, de- for decades, the abortion rights and death without dignity have used quality of life to talk about their agenda, to even advance their agenda. But you know what, God makes no distinction between quality of life and life itself. Every human life, whether typical or disabled, is valuable in the eyes of the creator. And one of the beauties of disability is that it challenges us to measure our value of human life because we're all created uniquely in his own image. Sadly to say, statistics say 60% of Down syndrome children are aborted. And 20% of other disabled children are aborted today in our society. Let's turn to Psalm 139. This is such a great chapter talking about God's creation. How he created us uniquely and amazingly. You know, we are all a miracle. What we're able to do as as human beings is amazing. And it all comes from God's amazing creation in Psalm 139. Specifically, we're going to look at verses 13 to 17. Verses 13 to 17. Talking about his creating us in the mother's womb. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are wonderful, are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book, we were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God, to me. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. God creates us uniquely. In fact, the womb is God's art studio. He, and it's created and governed by him. The human reproductive process from conception to birth and the life saving environment of the womb must be guarded with utmost care. Every life is precious in God's sight. Nothing must be done to no harm it. The womb is where God performs his creative work of crafting human beings, not two or which exactly alike, For his own purposes and his own glory. And what's interesting, he created us in his own image. Compared to the animals, he created us uniquely in his own image. And he created us to have a loving relationship with him. That's why he created us. Unfortunately, though, we are sinners. And that's the problem. Sin separates us from God. And we'll talk about it a minute later, but that's why Christ came in the world to solve this problem of sin. Sin. Psalm 71, if you want to turn to Psalm 71, 5 to 6, we also hear about God's amazing creation. Psalm 71, verses 5 to 6. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence for my youth. By you I have been sustained from birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. God is very attentive to all his work, especially the child in a mother's womb. He is is 100% involved in that. Job, interesting, in, in Job 10, 9 to 12, Job was struggling with God and kind of talking about the fact that he wasn't sure he wanted to live. He was down. But then he shares something amazingly here in Job 10, verses 9 to 12. He reminds himself of who created him. He reminds himself of God's creation. He says, remember now that you have made me as clay. You turn me into dust again. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Close me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and loving kindness and your care has preserved my spirit. Job is, I think, maybe trying to encourage himself here by answering that God has created him in a unique and amazing way. So as we see, God's creation is important to realize we are created as an image. We're created in a unique way. Number three, God's ways are always good, wise, kind, and loving. His ways are always good, good, kind, wise, and loving. And if we allow ourselves, sometimes we, we go through difficult times, we will question God's goodness. We might even think that God doesn't have his best efforts in mind to us. We may doubt his love. Now listen, no human can ever comprehend the full extent of God's love. We can't comprehend that. We cannot really put our arms around this. And and his goodness to us. Every day, maybe there's days where he protected you from something. Days he sustained you. Days that he got you through that you didn't think you'd get through. How he's faithful to take care of you. You had food this morning. We have clothing. We have a roof over our head. Little things that we can take for granted, but that's really all God's goodness and grace to us. John MacArthur says, God's goodness is that he's he's the perfect sum, source, and standard of, of that which is wholesome, virtuous, beneficial, and beautiful. God has never stopped being good and will never stop being good, but sometimes we stop being grateful and thankful. The goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we can ever comprehend. Just some scriptures to drive home this. Uh, Psalm 118, uh, 68, you don't have to turn there. It says, God, you are good and you do good. Psalm 114 says that God is a good God. He provides for those who fear him. He loves those who reach out to him. But let's turn to Genesis 50, verse 20. And I'm sure you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him, murder him. They falsely accused him of things. Joseph had to go to prison. He had a very difficult life, but towards the end of his life, he forgave his brothers, which is amazing. Forgave them for what they had done. But he makes a profound statement here in Genesis 50 verse 20, and you should circle circle this in your Bible or underline it. Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, "As for you, you meant evil against me, talking about his brother, brothers But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many alive. Joseph had wise theology here. Going down in history as a basic statement of God's sovereignty over all the affairs of men. Job got that. I mean, Joseph got that. He realized that God was sovereign over all the affairs, even the bad things that happened in his life. God used that for good. Psalm 23, 6, David says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And let's turn to Romans 2, 4. Romans 2, 4. Talking about our salvation here. Romans 2, 4. This is really talking about God's general goodness, his general grace and mercy to everyone, and how he uses that to draw people to himself. Romans 2, 4. It says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God's kindness leads us to repentance. He forgives us. And it opens the opportunity for us to be saved. So God's goodness is an amazing blessing that we receive. And it's easy sometimes to take it for granted. Genesis one thirty one tells us that God created everything and everything was good. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then lastly, in Romans 8, and I'm sure you're familiar with this section, in Romans 8, 31 to 39. Romans 8, 31 to 39. If you're having a bad day, read these verses in Romans 8, 31 to 39. That will encourage your heart. Start your day off with this says here, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his son, but delivered over to us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised. Who at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are all being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other crazy thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Nothing can separate us from his love. Not even when we blow it and offend him or when we sin or we mock him at times. He still loves us. It doesn't change his love for us. Number four. Number four. So far we've looked at God as sovereign. Every human is created in his image for a purpose, We looked at God's ways are loving, kind, and wise. Number four is, God is not using special needs children to punish us for our sin. I can't tell you how many phone calls I get from parents who have found out they're going to have a disabled child, and now they're asking me, what did I do wrong? What did I do to cause this to happen? There's a guilt there. They're feeling guilty. Let's turn to John 9. Jesus has an interesting discussion with the disciples. The disciples are struggling here with this blind man. John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was been born blind? Well, Jesus answered and said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4 says, we must work the works of him who sent me. Christ is saying here that God has brought these people into the world for a reason. And, and not, now, don't get me wrong, we live in a sinful world? Yes, we do. But we always, we live in a cause and effect society to world where we always want to blame something for something that's not right. That's something, a natural char- character for us. Who's to blame for this child being born blind? What's the, what's the problem here? But we must realize that all suffering results from sin sin from the garden. However, However, not all personal suffering is the result of personal sin, though. There is a massive difference. Now, Jesus did not deny the general connection between sin and suffering, but refuted the idea that personal acts of sin were the direct cause. This is important. God's sovereignty and purposes play a part in such matters as we learned from Job. We just talked about Job. But clearly, the governing force behind this man's disability was not any person's sin, but God's larger agenda to display his work and glory. This is a great opportunity for God to display his work and glory and grace and love with those with disabilities. And there, this really lies the fundamental purpose of disabilities, to draw attention to God. Physical and intellectual abilities are God's ordained means of displaying his wisdom and power. It really changes our earthbound focus From the temporal comforts that we have to what is infinitely more valuable in light of eternity. And Jesus makes it clear that this man was born blind for a purpose. And it's according to God's purposes. God doesn't make a mistake. He always has a reason and a purpose for everything. And I've seen it being involved in special needs ministries now for 20 some odd years. How God's grace and love is upon these people with disabilities. I've seen it time and time again. How he sustains them. He loves them, and he he shows it in unique ways. And Jesus showed tremendous compassion, even to this blind man, as we go back to looking at John 9 here, he eventually heals this blind man. He shows compassion and love. Even though the disciples are scratching their heads saying, what's going on? Why is he blind? Disciples, they just didn't get it. But Jesus, Jesus sees this man as a priceless image bearer of God and goes straight towards him. He sees a need, he reaches out in mercy and love and loves this man and heals him. The Lord brings these people affected by disabilities into our lives and gives us opportunities to display impartial, loving, living faith. You know, many times people will ask me, what what do you guys do with these disabled people at your church? Why, Why do you have this ministry? And I say, well, we're trying to exemplify Christ to love these people, love them, and serve them. And we give them the truth, we give them the gospel, we want them to love God. Yes, we do that, but we love them and serve them because Christ did that. All through the scriptures we see that. He loved and served these special people. Number three, I'm number five here, if I can count. Number five, God uses spiritual and mental disabilities to remind us of our greatest disability, that we are all spiritually disabled and broken. We're all spiritually disabled and broken. We live in a sin-cursed world. All of us are broken. The difference is that we don't show our brokenness like disabled people do. We can hide it. But we're all broken and we're all spiritually disabled. When we come into this world, we are spiritually disabled. We're spiritually blind. We're spiritually deaf. We're helpless. But God, gives us, God comes and gives us grace through his son, Jesus Christ. And our eyes can be opened. So every human being is blind, deaf, and coddling and disabled to some degree. We've all been negatively affected by the fall. And our greatest need is Christ and his grace and mercy in our lives. Christ came to proclaim the word to those that are hurting. Turn to Luke, um, Luke 4, 16 to 21. Luke 4. 16 to 21. Luke 4, 16 to 21. This is talking about Jesus' public ministry. In verse 16 it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was, it was custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath as he stood up and read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim re- and release the captives, recover the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Christ came in the world to proclaim good news to the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. He wanted to open, open the eyes of these oppressed souls. Luke five thirty two says. He did not come in the world for the righteous, but he came in the world for the sinners, the broken and the sinners. This is why he came. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the point appointed moment Christ died for the ungodly. So Christ comes in the world for the broken, the oppressed, the blind, the sinful. He didn't come for the the popular people, the self-righteous people. He came for the brokenhearted people. Ephesians, let's turn to Ephesians 2.7. Ephesians 2.7. This is an amazing verse. Ephesians 2.7. says here, So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing statement. Salvation is a blessing for us. It is even more the purpose of eternally glorifying God, bestowing on believers His endless, His limitless grace and kindness, and save sinners such as us. What a blessing! All right, number six. God's grace is sufficient for any trial, and we need to put, embrace these truths in our heart. God's grace is sufficient for any trial. He displays it through weakness. What does the Bible say? When we are weak, he is strong. We are blessed to have God enable us when times when we can't deal with it ourselves. It's too much for us. But that's where he displays his power. When we're we're at a weakened state. I got a call. It's funny. I'm working on this message this week. And I got a call from a gentleman who wants to kill himself. And I set everything aside. when I get those phone calls... (laughs) I take those very serious. Well, I found out he had, a, he had a terrible, he had a stunt put on his head, I guess what you call it. And uh, he was in pain all the time, he couldn't sleep. And he's right here he's got a wife, he's got kids, and he told me he can't take it anymore. He says, I, I said, says, I cannot take this anymore. He says, Pastor, I want to kill myself. I got out my notes, what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. And I said, you know, God will give you the strength to deal with this. Do you believe that? Well, I think I do. I said, does God love you and does he care about what you're going through? I, yeah. I'd like God to heal me, though. I said, well, that's good. Yeah, we can pray for that, that God would heal you. But God, will work, God is with you through this. He will be with you. He will give you what you need. He will give you the grace and the strength to get through this. I said, God doesn't want you to kill yourself. You've got a family. You've got children. You don't want to do that. And we had a great talk Really thank the Lord. The Lord gave me an opportunity to talk to this man. But here was a man that was really broken. He was weak. He says, I can't go any further. And that's when I said, when you are weak, he is strong. He is strong. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're talking about the 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Specifically verse 7. Talking about weakness and strength. This is Paul talking about his ministry, the Apostle Paul talking about, he's talking about the difficulty of his ministry. And um, you know, Paul was in jail, he was put in prison, people wanted to kill him. But in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he says an interesting thing here. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earth, what's an earthen vessel? Well, it's it's really talking about that we are clay pots. The reason that we're clay pots is that we're breakable, we're replaceable, we're, um, and we are cheap. Our, in other words, our body is very fragile. Our body is fragile. Um, but he says here, not only that we have earthen vessels, but he says so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. The surpassing of God is much greater than our weak, frail bodies. God makes it clear that, that when we get saved by his power that this great power can overcome and transcend whatever, transcend whatever we go through. Whatever weaknesses that we deal with, his power can overcome that for us. It's an amazing thing to think about. It's the supernatural work of the Lord. When we are weak, he is strong. And then in verse 8 he says here talking about his own life here. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul can be used in his term, perplexed here. And the word afflicted is talking about being tightly squeezed. It could mean some tremendous pressure someone's under, tremendous burden that they're under. Yes, we might be persecuted. Here, we could be persecuted and struck down. Jesus said they hated you, they're going to hate us. But he says here, you don't have to turn there, but the, uh, Hebrews 13 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. you. We may be struck down, destroyed. Many times in Paul's ministry, he was beaten, left for dead, but he was never destroyed, and God always gave him the strength to get through that. We might be thrown down by our trials. Yes, we might be, but we will never be destroyed. Never be destroyed. God gives greater grace to those who suffer and to those who are in need. We need to really cling to those truths. And the Bible says that he will not give us anything more than we can handle. He will never give us anything more that we can handle. So what does this mean we're talking about? What's the point here? God will empower and equip us through our inner person to bear up under anything and will give us the strength that we need. He will give us what we cannot handle That we are driven to depend on Him who is sufficient to strengthen us and supply what we need to endure that trial. If God gave us only what we could handle, where would be the glory? God receives the glory when we humbly receive the gifts of suffering with God, breaking down more and more of ourselves so that Christ may be more supreme in our lives. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 12 8 really quick. We're going to go through this. I'm sure you remember the story of Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Paul had an amazing experience. Uh, you know, he, he, can't even, he can't even articulate the experience he had. But he was caught up with some over, heavenly vision. He did not know expressly what it was, but he was caught up either bodily or spirit and was temporarily separated from his body into heaven. He was hesitant to share his experience because his accusers might mock him for that. Uh, there were a lot of people that at this particular time called the super apostles that were harassing Paul all the time. They had criticized him. So he was afraid to say anything about it. But because of this amazing experience, God said, you know what, I, I want to make sure this, that he doesn't get big-headed from this. So I'm going to give him a thorn in the flesh. It says here in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness, the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Some say this was a disability that he had. Some say that maybe he was being harassed by... These so-called super apostles who were letting them were false prophets, harassing him. But whatever he was, it says here that he implored the Lord three times that it might leave him. He says, Lord, I want to get rid of this. I can't handle this. And though he couldn't handle it. What does verse 9 say here? Great God says something, a most amazing, amazing statement. He says, listen, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with my weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, and with persecutions and difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. This would be a great section of the Bible to memorize here of this amazing statement that Paul, Paul makes here, that God's grace is sufficient. Paul recognized even though his physical disability came from Satan, it was only from God. He knew that. He, had to, he, that was, he knew that it came from God. Satan was just the delivery boy, the messenger, who delivered the package of suffering to Paul. But it was not the ultimate source. God allowed this. God was the principal cause just as he was in the book of Job when he allowed Job to suffer. Now Satan hoped that this affliction would pull Paul away from the Lord or that Paul would get angry and he'd get resentful and bitter. But what did it do? Instead, it drove Paul closer to God. It drove Paul closer to God. And you know, God hates pride. When God sees pride in us, there are times when God will do things in our lives to humble us, because the Bible makes it clear that God hates pride. Let's turn to Proverbs 16.5. Proverbs 16.5. By the way, if you want to read about pride, Proverbs talks a lot about it. Proverbs talks a lot about pride. But it's specifically in verse 16, 5, it says here, Everyone who is proud of heart is an abomination to the Lord. Surely he will not be unpunished. Pride is an abomination to the Lord. That's about as strong as language as you can find. Let's turn to 1 Peter 5, 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. Talking about how pride. Peter says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. God will exalt us if we're humble. If we're proud, he's going to knock us down. Pride is a huge problem today in our society. It's promoted in our world. Our world would say you need to be proud. They think it's a great thing to be a proud person. Uh, they, they, They want you to be a proud person. And we see it in all all aspects of our society with the athletes that we watch on TV, the movie stars, the people that are so-called glorified in our society. But God looks at it differently. He hates pride. And he hates it so much. Turn to Deuteronomy 4 real quick. This is a great story of Nebuchadnezzar. And he became a very proud, proud leader. Very powerful leader and became very, very proud. In Deuteronomy 4, I mean Daniel 4, excuse me. Daniel, not Deuteronomy. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 30, it says here, the king, Nebuchadnezzar talking about himself here, boasting about himself. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself has built as a royal residence, by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Right in the middle of the sentence, while he starts boasting about himself, in verse 31, it says, the word the, While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. Right in the middle of the sentence, boasting about himself, God interrupts him and says, You will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on whomever he wishes. He basically got Nebuchadnezzar on his face, humbled him. But what's really encouraging, if we go down to verse 35 here, Nebuchadnezzar says, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar gets it now. God has opened up his eyes. He humbled him. He broke him for his own good. And now Nebuchadnezzar sees wow, God, you are in control. You are the ruler. And I am nothing. So God really hates pride, and we see it destroying marriages today. But again, we understand from God's perspective that he hates pride. And he will do, And sometimes he will humble us at times. And I'm sure we can all look at past in our lives of times when the Lord has put us through something difficult or whether he maybe broke us a little bit because of our pride. All right, number seven. God has redeemed us to live in a, a fellowship with, of community with one another. This is so important. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. We have this amazing community of church here. We're all here today on Sunday. We're a community, a family. We're here to follow Christ to love one another. The local church is more than just a religious organization. It's a functioning body. But as we work through this scripture, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. This is such a great section of the Bible talking about the church. 1 Corinthians 12. We're all uniquely gifted in this church. But as we move through this, we're going to see what becomes the most important aspect of the church. And I'll let you, you'll see as we move through here, what is, in, uh, in Paul's eyes, what is the most important aspect of the church. But as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, let's first look at verses 12 to 14, as we talk about this body of believers. It says here, For even as the body is one and yet as many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body so also is Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. You know, we can, we can really look at the body of Christ as our human body. Look at it, we have 37.6 trillion cells that work together for us to function. We have 78 organs, 13 major organs that all have to function together just right for you and I to live. This is a good re- representation of what the body of Christ looks like. You've got different gifted people, different, different aspects, uh, different parts designed for different purposes in the body of Christ. And this is the Holy Spirit's design for the church. We're all different, but we're all, we're all Christians. We're all from the same body. Well, let's look at verses, as we move further through this, look, let's look at verses 15 to 16 here of 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 14 says, for the body is not, not one member of many. But we see in verse 15 and 16, this is talking about somebody who is je- who's jealous and envious because they, they don't have the gifts that the other person has. All that. How come I don't have that person's gift? I, I see. What, why, don't, you know, why don't I have that gift? It's the person that can complain. It says here in verse 15, well, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body and if the ear says because I'm not an eye I'm not part of the body it is not for this reason any less part of the body so we see here that we can complain sometimes and murmur and we try to compare ourselves to each other we belittle ourselves sometimes but listen god created us differently we all have different gifts and abilities and we're, but we're all to use them yeah maybe this person is really good at teaching the bible we have people in our church that clean dishes And they love it. They serve the Lord. They clean dishes in the kitchen. There's a lady in our church that's been doing this for 25 years. Nobody knows her. She works in the kitchen. She cleans up. She sweeps it, cleans it, does the dishes. No one sees it, but she loves it. This is the gift that she has. I've tried to make a point over the years to thank her for what she does. I said, the Lord honors you what you do. She cleans the floors. She cleans the toilets. We're all gifted differently, but we don't want to ever complain and then you have the proud person, though. Then you've got the proud people that say, oh, I have, my gifts are better than yours, and you know, I'm irreplaceable, and on and on and on. We were just talking about pride. We see that here in verses, I uh, see. we'll look at verses uh, 20, starting in verse 20. It says here, if There are many members but one body, and I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So we have to be careful not to compare ourselves, to say, well, you know, I have this, I'm more important, you know, I'm more gifted than you. But then this is where Paul's going on this whole situation of gifts in the church as we look here in verse 22 and following. On the contrary, it is much true that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which seem to be less honorable on those who be so more abundant honor and are less presentable members become much more presentable. What is he talking about here? He is talking about the weaker people in the church and that would include those with disabilities. They are essentially important in our church. They're, they're an indispensable part of our church. They are the ones that we need to be abundant honor. They're the ones that we need to really be reaching out to. What a great opportunity we have to love these type of people. The hurting people in our church. And look at 26, verse 26 here. This is really talking about it. It says, if one member suffers in the church, all the members suffer, and if one member's on it, all the members rejoice with it. This is part of the body. When someone's hurting, we need to be there. We need to be there. And when someone's doing well, we want to rejoice with them. Yes. Got a good job. Maybe something. God blessed them with something. We want to bless those people. But the fact is the matter, though, Paul really, really exemplifies the importance of reaching out to the weaker in the church. You know, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. And he also says, weep with those who weep. We need to be compassionate. What are we driving at here? It says here, since the body is one unit of many parts, it's impossible for the suffering of one part not to impact the whole, first of all. Just like you hit your toe. You hurt your toe. That sometimes that can affect the rest of your body. You can maybe uh, you hurt a part of your body that's going to affect other parts. When someone's hurting in the church, we need, that should be a warning sign. We should open our eyes up. Disabilities help us to remind that. That's why God brings disability people in our church or people that are hurting in our church. We are a body and we need each other. And God intensely designed the church to include the parts that seem weaker. It's sad today that we have our, some of these image-driven churches today that teach about God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and feel good. They're missing the point completely here. The church is a hospital, is what it is, of hurting people. And yet you have these churches that tell people that, yeah, you come to know the Lord, and we're all going to be healthy, we're all going to feel great. And, uh, and if you're not feeling well, then it's the devil's fault. The church is a hospital of broken and hurting people. That's how God designed the church. What a blessing it is when God brings someone in our lives that is hurting or has a disability. We have a great opportunity to reach out and love these people. The design of the weak and strong together in one body is a great testimony of God's grace. We have a great opportunity to love one another with grace and acceptance. And disability teaches us to love and accept people heartily. Thank you, Lord, that you brought this person into my life that's disabled. Thank you, Lord, for that. So disability should remind us that we are all the same. Yes, we're all hurting in different ways. Our sinful hearts are equally in need of the grace of God. That's no different there. And we all need a loving community. We all have a sense of belonging. We all need to love one another. The Bible is filled with one another's in church. Love one another. Care for one another. Pray for one another. But when we see the disabilities through the eyes of Christ, we believe that the weak members of the body are more important and indispensable. We see disability as not a separate ministry, but a normal opportunity for the outworking of biblical love in the local family of God. We embrace human weakness as a way it shows the working of God's strength and grace, and we see disability as whereby the self is dethroned in our hearts, in our churches, to we practice selfless love of Christ. What a great opportunity to practice the selfless love of Christ, who someone's hurting and someone is weak. And I thank the Lord for the Lord putting me in this ministry I've been in for years, and I And I I can say, I'm, I'm a selfish person. I'm a proud person. And the Lord, I know the Lord put me in this ministry to break me and to change me. But I thank the Lord. And I've learned a lot working with people with disabilities. You know, it's not easy. No, it's not. But it's a great blessing. Because the Lord has uniquely brought these special people in our lives. And it's a great opportunity to love and minister these people in a selfless way. It teaches us about selfless love. So we've seen here, God is sovereign. We are created uniquely in his image for a purpose. We're of measurable value to him. God's ways are loving, kind, and wise. God is not using special needs child to punish us, but he's using them really to display his glory. Number five, God uses physical and mental disabilities or remind us that we're all spiritually disabled. Number six, God's grace is sufficient for any trial. Number seven, those with disabilities are an indispensable part of the church. Lastly, Suffering causes us to look forward to heaven. Suffering causes us to look forward to heaven. And I've told you maybe this before, but Johnny Erickson Tata, many of you might not know who she is, but she broke her neck at the age of 17. She was uh, in a wheelchair all of her life. And she's struggled with physical pain. She struggled with cancer in her life. She's now 72 years of age. She's one of the oldest living quads, quadriplegics Ever. But when you're around her, the first thing she wants to talk about is heaven. She loves to sing songs about heaven. Here's a woman that has really, has really displayed the example of someone who lives for eternity. That's what gets her out of bed every day, is the fact that she knows that heaven is around the corner. So number eight, suffering causes to look forward to heaven. Let's turn to Romans 8, as we finish up here. Romans 8. Specifically, verse... 18 says here, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. Suffering is just a temporary thing compared to eternal glory, being in heaven for eternity. Yes, it's not fun when we're in the middle of a difficult time but it's for a time. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going back into that amazing chapter. As Paul's talking about his ministry here, In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. We, we hit some verses earlier on here. He was talking about uh, his ministry. He struck down, beaten. Then in verse 17, though, Paul really wants to get to what's really important here in his life, and what gets, him, what gets him through his difficult life. Verse 17, he says, for a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory for all comparison. All right, let's look at this first part. Momentary light affliction. Yes, this might be a, a difficulty, it must be a constant, intense trial, but it's momentary in light in compared to eternity. You know, James 4.14 says that our life is just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. First Peter uh, chapter 1 verse three, uh, 3 to 5 says, he says, even though for a little while, if necessary, you're distressed by trials. Again, we're, we're comparing trials to eternity. For a while, yes, we go through difficult times, but compared to eternity, they're just a momentary light affliction. And then he says here, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. This is it. It refers to a heavy mass. This is the future glory that we'll experience. That outweighs, that outweighs any suffering that we experience in this world. This is talking about heaven that we're going to be in, we're going to go to someday. This is talking about the hope we have in heaven He's saying that the weight of glory awaiting all believers exceeds all limits, whether suffering comes from a commitment to Christ being persecuted or a patient enduring life's struggles, our normal day-to-day struggles that we have. Or this might be talking about even worse than that, people like Johnny who has a disability. Whatever it may be, though, we have the eternal weight of glory waiting for us around the corner. And I'm telling you, when I say life is a vapor, when you get to be my age, It does seem that way. I mean, you might be laughing, you young folks might be laughing at that, but I'm telling you, it looks like it was just yesterday I was in high school. Honestly, I look at my life and I go, I was in high school, it seems like just a couple years ago. The life passes by fast. I know my dad used to tell me this, I used to laugh at him when I was a young kid. But now I realize that how fast life goes. But we have eternity waiting for us. Philippians 3:20, 21 says our citizenship is in heaven. That's our home, is in heaven. That we eagerly await to see the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.2 says set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. This is what we wait for. And I, admit, I told the story about Fanny Crosby before. She was a woman that was, uh, became blind at the age of 10 weeks, I think. She gave her life to her Lord at early age, and she wrote five to 6,000 gospel hymns. And sometimes people would come up to her and say, Fanny, how come you're always joyful? You know, when, when the Lord allowed you to, when your God allowed you to be blind, allowed you to be born blind, and she said, well, someday when, I, my, when I'm able to see, the first person that I will see is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in heaven. This woman had a, a great attitude about life, and she had her focus on what was important on eternity. I want to close with a story by by a young lady by the name of Cindy. She had cerebral palsy. And this woman loved the Lord, and she had her focus on eternity. And I'll read the story that Johnny Erickson taught us there, shares this story. It was a talent night at one of our Johnny and Friends family retreats. And Cindy, a young woman with cerebral palsy, was the last one scheduled to perform. Cindy's mother pushed her daughter in the wheelchair out onto the platform. Cindy, she told us, had been working hard all week on her her favorite song, Amazing Grace. Several of us looked at each other and said, we all looked at Cindy and said, how's this gonna work? Because of her disability, she can't speak. Then her mother walked off stage and left Cindy alone on the stage. The young woman laborlessly stretched out her twisted fingers and pushed a button on her communication device attached her chair, and out came the monotone, a computerized voice saying, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, as the robotic voice voice continued the hymn, Sidney turned her head to to face the audience, and with enormous effort began to mouth all the words as best as she could. What's more, her smile lit up the entire place. It was a performance... Sorry. It was a performance that any opera star or recording star would envy. To be honest, I've never seen anything equal to it. Amazing Grace is a great song we all love, but that night it was sung in an entirely new and different way. Cindy wasn't able to sing the words with her local vocal cords, but something happened as she leaned hard on Jesus and mouthed those words. I can't explain it, but somehow it rose up in that auditorium as a ringing hymn of praise to God. It was as though Cindy's song was backed by an 80-piece orchestra. I can imagine angels leaning over the edge of heaven, filled with wonder to catch every word. Cindy knew and had had a love for her Lord. And she understood that someday she would be in the presence of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do appreciate people such as Cindy who have had difficult lives can't imagine living a life of cerebral palsy. But but a, a woman who loved you and knew that someday she would get a new body, as the Bod says, a new glorified body. And that she won't be paralyzed anymore. She'll be and she'll be in the in the place in the, in, in a place called heaven in the presence of her Lord. So, Father, as we, we talked a lot about suffering today and disabilities, it is so important, really, at the end of the day, to realize that you are a sovereign, gracious, loving God. You're sovereign. You give us the grace to get through trials. You love us. You even allow us to go through trials for our own good. And at the end of the day, you want us to get our focus on you and on heaven. And it's a great opportunity as a church to reach out to these hurting people. So Lord, I just pray this has been encouraged to all of us here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.